I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Welcome to... Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Before we begin today's show, I do want to apologize to all of you listeners for the lack of podcast episodes over the past few days. Perhaps you already know this, but our team was so fortunate to be able to be on the broadcast for parts of the 2022 ITA kickoff weekend, our YouTube channel playing host to seven different regions of action. Hopefully some of you tuned in to that college tennis throughout the course of the weekend, but as many of you listeners can imagine, that consumed all of our time here at CRHQ. As such, we have a couple of big picture topics we need to follow up on on our podcast here to start the week. Of course, if you're looking for Australian Open recap content, the mini break podcast feed is the place for you. I'm going to do an episode offering my final thoughts on the event. Of course, my thoughts on Rafael Nadal's dramatic come from behind five set victory over Daniil Medvedev. My thoughts on Ashley. Barty has she solidified herself not only as the prohibitive world number one but amongst perhaps the greats in terms of three five-year stretches we've seen of late on the WTA tour those are the things I explore on that mini break podcast episode I also want to set the week for all of you listeners on what's happening across the professional tennis world because yeah we've got I believe three ATP 250s happening this week I'm headed off to Cleveland Ohio for the Cleveland Challenger you can expect content from our crack racket team from there throughout the week interviews with players of course recaps and all the action happening it's gonna be a busy week here at crack rackets yes the year's first grand slam has come to a close but as all of you listeners know the action never stops across levels in the tennis world but of course you didn't come here to hear my excuses you want to hear about the latest developments that happen in the tennis world and usually we say if it's a monday we're talking about this but if it's the start of the week on this show, you know the episode we have for all of you listeners today. Another fantastic ATP Challenger recap show from our contributors, Damian Kust and Yaka Babro. On this week's episode, the guys discuss resurgent performances from Bashik Pospisil and Yoshihito Nishioka. They discuss the Joe Wilfred Songa comeback tour, the retirement of Frederick Nielsen, and so much more. It is a fantastic episode that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. I will offer this plug to Damien since he's too humble to do it himself. He wrote about every Australian Open final. He watched them all from the men's singles final all the way through to the juniors and every category in between. It's a really interesting piece that all of you listeners, if you haven't, should go read. I'm sure you can find it on his Twitter feed. But seriously, excellent work as always from Damien, this podcast. Another uh, sign or another, I suppose, just another flashpoint for him, another indication of how exceptional he can be. But all right, enough with me rattling on and on about Damien, enough of me talking about what you can expect here at Crack Rackets. You want to hear about the ATP Challenger Tour, so let's get it west off. Hit those credits. Let's start today's show. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. 
This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Uh, hello and welcome to the next episode of the Tangent Podcast. We've got uh, three exciting events to recap with you today and only one preview actually. Uh, but before that, I think we also have to say goodbye to a certain player who announced his retirement this week. Uh, yes, yeah, Freddie Nielsen has um, finished his career. He's saying goodbye to tennis. Uh, it's, it's a sad day, uh, one that we've I don't know if we've been expecting it because he did retire from singles a little while ago, but he's been playing doubles consistently. Um, yeah, I mean, he's obviously best known for winning Wimbledon uh, as a wildcard with Jonathan Murray in 2012, yep. I think. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yes, yes, um, yes. And then afterwards, sort of going for the controversial decision of um, not going to be like a full-time doubles player on the main tour but trying to still continue a singles career in challengers and futures which um was definitely an odd choice but if it worked for him he had fun um so yeah uh, how, how will you remember freddie nielsen i think we got uh, both got the chance to watch him live right uh because we definitely were he was definitely at that bratislava event we were both at and yes, yeah. I, I also watched him in Marseille 2020. So that was doubles, not singles. I actually have very little recollection of how he played singles. But I mean, 190 in the world, that's still, that's still pretty great. He played in three challenger finals, only one after, after the Wimbledon doubles title. I mean, you, you, I, I really didn't watch doubles back in 2012, but Johnny Murray is just an even, uh, an even weirder story, right? I mean, he... He barely got any success after that title. Nielsen was at least a, a very competitive yeah. uh, double specialist. Uh, and I guess uh, I, I, I also flew a plane with Frederick Nielsen once. Uh, obviously, I had the you know I, I had the idea. I knew I knew that he I was flying with him. He was uh, going. Uh, we were going from Frankfurt to Marseille. Uh, he was flying with Tim, Tim Poets, obviously. I didn't recognize him at first because he had his hair very differently than he than he has on the court. But Poets was very, very easy to recognize or puts or however it's read, I don't even know. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I mean, I reckon that Frederick Nielsen probably didn't know that I was flying that plane with him. So, uh, you know, maybe, maybe he listens to this and he's like, oh... <laughs> Uh, do you have any you know, favorite experiences or memories of Frederick Nielsen? I'm just very upset that, that I didn't get to interview him when I was in Bratislava because uh, he actually won the doubles with, with Tim Pitts. Um, and for the interviews, they only gave us Iebavi and Zelenai because obviously Zelenai was the home player, despite the loss. And they didn't give us the winners at any time. And so I was kind of surprised by that and I hope that I would get to interview him, but never, never happened. Yeah, you actually had to like ask the I don't know who the press office manager, whoever that was. Yeah, I I, I don't think I interviewed anyone that, that week. Uh, it wasn't like the the organization was oh, very fine, but just not focused on that, right? Yeah, no, I mean it, it was like they, they tried their best, but 
I yeah. tried to interview Kukushkin while I was there and him simply existing out of the different side of the court than we thought uh, completely wrecked us. Like we mm-hmm. couldn't find him. That. It was <laughs> chaos. We were looking for it. Kukushkin, like he uh, lost to Klein, right? Or something like that? Uh, yes. Yeah. Retired. He, he, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's such an off topic, but I guess it was a challenger still back in 2019. Yeah. Obviously, it was a challenger. Uh, it doesn't really matter who Mikhail Kukushkin lost to back then. Uh, I guess we should just go into the, the recaps right now. Um, once again, goodbye for the news then. It was great to it was great watching you. Always nice to have some players from you know not really tennis developed countries like Denmark. We pretty much just have Rune and uh, Torpegard now. And Torpegat we're going to probably mention soon. So where do you want to start? Quimper, uh, Columbus, well, or Santa Cruz? Let's start uh, in, in Columbus. The most recent final that we just both watched. Uh, Yoshita Nishioka took the title, um, beating Dominic Stricker 6-2-6-4. In uh, the final, his sixth challenger title. First one since May 2018. So it's been a while. Nishioka has been on the main tour for quite a while, but sort of fell towards the end of last season. Uh, he beat Watanuki, JJ Wolf, Emilio Gomez, and Jensen Brooksby in the semis to reach the final. Um, as for Stryker, uh, he was up to very close to breaking the top 200, but currently in uh, 203. He beat Tennis Sandgren, the second seed in, the, in a very, very good first round. Uh, then Kozlov, in, in also a great three-setter, then got a walkover from Sok and uh, beat Rodionov in the semis. So how did you like how did you like Nishioka? How did you like this tournament in Columbus? I mean, both had such a very such tough draws, right? I mean, Wolf and Brooksby to get to a challenger final, and then then yeah. Stricker had Kozlov and Sandgren to even get to a quarter. Uh, a very very tough field here. Uh, I was so surprised to actually learn that Nishioka hasn't even hadn't I mean even played the challenger in uh, all over two years. I think it was Bendigo two thousand twenty. I, you know, I just had the feeling that he probably mixed it for a bit, just, you know, played one challenger a year or something, but apparently mm-hmm. not. Uh, but he totally proved his class, even though the, he was, in, uh, looking at his results, he wasn't even in that much of a slump. Like he was still pretty, conseg- uh, you know, pretty uh, often winning matches on the main tour or main tour qualities, but it, these results simply weren't enough to still keep him in the top 100. Uh, but if he can win a few challengers, he can easily get back there. I think he ha- he defends like a few main tour quarterfinals in May or something like this. So so he still has a bit of time. The Brooksby win was certainly insane, even though the, the, these are very quick conditions. Uh, so you know, it's it's not really a natural fit for his game, but he can take the ball very early. Obviously, amazing at absorbing pace, which was very visible in the final. Stricker. Uh, you know, at some point he's gonna have to learn how to play in these matchups that aren't great for him, that test his rally tolerance. I think the the Kozlov match was a huge step forward because Kozlov just it it reminded me of the matchup that Kozlov has against Wolf. Like this is just even though obviously Streaker is is a lefty, uh, but they Streaker and Wolf probably play tennis in a pretty similar way, always going forward, big serve. Uh, lots of net play even uh, and I I mean this just, this just seemed like a carbon copy of the, of the matchup that Kozlov has against Wolf of how much uh, that is a struggle and, and I thought that was a huge step forward. Rodionov is certainly not an easy player for him as well 
Uh, at first, I, I thought, like, okay, Stricker is 19. Uh, he's not going to face players like Nishioka uh, that often. Maybe it's not something that needs immediate attention. But then even looking at this draw, I mean, Kozlov, Rodionov, Nishioka. Rodionov obviously is a little more powerful, but also plays that sort of, uh, you know, take the ball early, just rally, prolong the rally style. He can at least in, in some matches play this style. He played it against Stricker. And, and at some point, he's going to have to, you know, for, force himself to play these players better. I think the, the, the Kozlov match was a great start, even though Stefan had some uh, was it abdominal issues. I can't remember at this point in the in the deciding set. Uh, but the, the final was just not too competitive at all. Um, yeah, as for our picks, I picked Brooksby. I was very confident in picking Brooksby, um, thwarted by Nishioka, who... I didn't really think about that much going into that uh, week, but I probably should have because I mean he's he's really good. Drops onto the challengers here. You had for Tangelo, right? Who got beaten by uh, Ohio Torpegard. So yes, <laughs> I mean Torpegard. I think uh, I didn't uh, check this these stats again, but I think I still remember. I think he'd be now thirty six ten in challengers in Ohio and like twenty eight forty one anywhere else. So anywhere else, he's basically not even competitive. And here, if, <laughs> yeah. it, if it wasn't for the cramping in the quarters, he also won the doubles title, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, with whom? Fratangelo? Sandgren. No. Sandgren. Sandgren. Oh, yeah. I knew it was an American. I didn't. I don't think I watched any of these match, uh, any of their matches this week. Uh, but, I mean, uh, the, the one against Odionov, he was also on, on the way to win this, if not for the cramping, if not for the physical issues late in the third which was pretty surprising to see because it's a very quick surface, but especially at Columbus because he played college here. These are the courts where the Ohio State plays. Uh, he's just a completely different player. You know, he he's like, I don't know, a top fifth, top 150 guy in Ohio and barely making his living on the Challenger Tour anywhere else, which is just incredible and shocking. I mean, he's going to get one more chance at Cleveland. He was always very good at Cleveland as well. I think he's also a past winner of the of that event, um, if I remember correctly. Yes, 2020. Uh, obviously, all five of his finals were in Ohio on the Challenger Tour. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to it, but I, I hope he can one day play as well as in Ohio anywhere. But, but it's, I don't think it's going to happen at this point, honestly. Yeah, I, I I was wondering what happened to Torpegar that made him retire in the quarters uh, because he kept playing in the doubles. But you said it was cramping. Yeah, most I I'm not sure if it was cramping because I didn't check the uh, I didn't check the PDF doing it now. But but looking from you know, from the stream, it seemed like yeah he was suffering from some heavy cramps, mm. which was pretty surprising as I said because the pace of the match was was quite high. Yeah, he's actually his official issue is uh, you know stated in the in the PDF file is cramping so. Yeah. Uh, okay. Right. Um, yeah. A- anybody else that we want to talk about in Columbus? Yeah, um, I don't think so. I had some. Uh, oh, I just wanted to say that uh, I, I, me, I overlooked Nishioka mostly as I had the feeling that uh, because he fell out of the top 100, he must have been doing poorly or something like this. And then when mm-hmm. I checked his results like today or yesterday, I realized that this was like a big misconception. <laughs> yeah, we definitely we definitely should have looked at him, although I don't think that this would have checked uh, changed our 
our picks, right? Brooksby was still... yeah. I mean, he, he he came out of a tough section with, with yeah. Wolf there, um, and yeah, Brooksby for me was the was the main favorite. Um, yeah, I yeah. Should we, can... we go on to yeah. Kimpere? Sure. Yes. Uh, there we had Vashik Pospisil, the fifth seed, beating Gregor Barrer, six four three six six one. Pospisil's tenth uh, challenger title. He got his first one uh, ten years ago in 2012 in March in Rimouski. Uh, so it's a little fun fact. He moves up 16 spots, number 122. On his way to the final, he beat uh, Borg, Latsko, Van Rijthoven, and Moria. Um, this draw sort of, I don't want to say fell apart, but we had a lot of qualifiers in the latter stages of, <laughs> of this draw uh, in a way that I didn't really expect. Uh, yeah, but what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, before the finals, these guys were playing so well, and they they weren't they were barely broken. I think Barrer lost at one surface game to can't remember to whom at this point, but he lost two. He definitely was broken just twice on the way to the final. I think to Lechechka and one of the other guys, Kuznetsov, I think. And Pospisil got broken just three times: twice to Borg and once to Moria. So I expected a very heavily serve-based match. And the first set was like that. I mean, Pospisil just played a great return game uh, early on. But uh, the, the second was just such a huge mess. And the third too, honestly. I I honestly think that the guys were just pissed that they couldn't watch Medvedev Nadal until the end. <laughs> uh, that they had to step on the court. Obviously not. But uh, both Pospisil and Barrer really needed these runs. I think Barrer was on a six-match losing streak uh, coming into this one, and Pospisil obviously uh, pretty dreadful in 2021. 8-19, I believe, was his win-loss record, and so now he's 9-2. Uh, the, the quarterfinal losses in Forli to Ferreira, Silva, and Pirosh obviously a little below his opti- optimal level, but mm-hmm. maybe he's getting there. Uh, and an interesting point to make about Pospisil is like when I when I was looking for his challenger records, uh, his challenger titles like mostly come in groups, and I believe that is because for the most of his career, he's basically progressing through challengers, making some main tour impact, then falling back down, and then the cycle keeps repeating itself. That's why yeah. he's got four titles in 2012, 2013. You could even split that into two groups, but I think uh, that my my point works better when you when you actually give uh, get them into one because after Vancouver he had that Washington uh, and uh, Washington and Montreal was it in 2013? Yeah, these big runs at ATP events. Then he obviously was a main tour player for a couple of years. Won Wimbledon with Jack Sock. Uh, and then he fell down, won three titles between May 2017 and February 2018, then went down again. <laughs> and then he had that fantastic ladder half of 2019, two challenger titles, which propelled him to a great 2020 on the main tour. And now we're back here again. <laughs> he just won, obviously, his first in that new group. We don't know if there's going to be any more. Uh, but he might need it if he if he wants to come back to the top 100. So th- that's very, uh, you know, I'm not sure what to think about it. Sometimes it's been injuries, sometimes just lacking form, but he just seems to have that, you know, that ability to come back to the main tour, play a year or two there, but then always keeps, you know, keeps going back down. Yeah, I mean, and, and the big question is, he's now 31. Uh, so how likely is he actually to bounce back up because oftentimes when you see, 
guys after 30 drop down uh, to the challengers, they often don't reemerge again uh, on the main tour. And I mean, obviously, this is a good result for Paul Spiechel. We'll we'll see what his scheduling looks like right now. Uh, I only see that he's signed up for Dallas qualifying, and that's it at the moment. Um, Interesting so, that he doesn't want to stay in uh, in Europe because he had these. Uh, I yeah. remember he had these few great runs in like Montpellier, Marseille. Was it two two years ago? I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, all, all he has is Dallas qualifying. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah, I, I wanted to mention quickly the qualifier that made the furthest uh, from the whole group. Yeah, the, the, there were four qualifiers in the quarterfinals. Which was pretty pretty funny. Um, yeah, Hiroki Moriya made it the made it the farthest, lost the semis to Pospi Shill uh, beat Clement Tabor and Andrea Nabodi in qualifying before beating Mochizuki, Bemelmans, and Alexander Muller in the made draw. Uh, we should also mention obviously Joe Wilfred Tsonga, my pick, uh, for the title didn't quite work out. Uh, but he didn't look horrible. Like I I watched his win against uh Hisler and he, he looked he looked quite good to me. Uh, so I couldn't watch his his loss, unfortunately. So that that sort of surprised me, but it it's not out of the realm of possibility that just Muller had a really good day and just beat him. So I'm cautiously optimistic on this Tonga comeback. Me too. <laughs> me too. Absolutely. Uh, the the win against Wesler was just really superb, and I I didn't think he was gonna play that well. But I guess we just you know we, we, it turned out that you can trust exhibition results. <laughs> At least from this side, <laughs> uh, I think he beats uh, definitely Gasquet and Andujar there. Uh, so, so you know, these results weren't really lying. It, he was really playing very, very well in that first round. Obviously, the second still had still had his moments, uh, but I am optimistic as well. I think this is so much better than anything he showed in 2020 or 2021. Obviously, in his case, the time is really limited. He's what 20. Uh, 2036. He he wishes he he was he was 30, he was 26. Yeah, he's 36 to to turn. Yeah, he's 37 in, in April. So that's yeah. that's a rough timeline. So yeah, I mean, who, who knows what his really? I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I would love to ask him like, like what his ambition is for like, mm-hmm. like 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 what's the goal of the comeback? Yeah. Is it to you know play some more slams, try to have like a big moment, maybe try and get. Uh, a title of some sort, stuff like that. I'm, I'm not sure what, what drives Tonga uh, to to come back at, at 36 or 37. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm rooting for him. I'll, I'll be happy to to see what he brings. Uh, yeah, I, I also but, should mention my take, even though, I mean, <laughs> there's not much to talk about. I had Romain Safiudin, who lost to Ruben Bermans uh, in the opening round. Yeah, I, it's not like I thought that after the ATP Cup, Safiudin would just instantly jump into the top 100 or something. But that was still pretty disappointing to me, even though Bemelmans is obviously always going to be dangerous indoors. These are perfect conditions for his game. Yeah, I mean, I, I also got bamboozled by Boss Pichel. I, I picked him a week too early last week. Yeah. Um, and obviously worked out this week. It's a, it's a shame. That one was a much easier draw as well, right? The Inforli. This was actually very very competitive like when you when you look yeah. at what some players had to uh pospicial probably had it much easier borg lachkov and right and moria mm-hmm. but i mean what barrer had to face lehechka oh, puy kuznetsov and novak to to get to a challenger final that's that's pretty sick 
So many guys that are, I mean, Puy was obviously a top 10 player. Novak was in the top 100. Kuznetsov was in the top 50. Lehechka is going to be in the top 50. <laughs> so so you know, that, that that was really sick. And, and I mean, I'm not surprised that you picked Pospisil in Forli, not here. Because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't see Barrer coming to this final at all. As you said, he, he he had a losing streak at the end of last year. He was winless this year coming into this. I he was not on my radar as a as a potential winner, well, finalist in this case, but didn't even think about him. Yep. Uh, yeah. Should we move on to Santa Cruz? Yeah, sure. Yes, yeah, Santa Cruz, where Francisco Serundolo. Uh, took the title over Camilo Ugo Carabey, 6-4-6-3, his fifth challenger title, moves up to number 111 in the rankings, uh, goes up 16 spots. He's about 70 points away, I think, from the top 100. Uh, so watch out for that. Uh, pretty pretty tough road for, for Serundolo, beat Diaz Acosta, uh, Tirante to, to close matches, especially the Tirante match. Uh, then beat Moreno de Alboran in the quarters, Delian in the semis before having Ugu Karabe in the final. Uh, yeah, how do you like Serundo this week? Yeah, I mean, it's it's always been about the confidence with him and also about finding a way to win with not playing his best. I'm still not sure he's got a realistic way of doing that because I think mm-hmm. the, his response to a lot of the, the trouble he faced was pretty much to hit even harder <laughs> but it worked out this week and as you said the draw was extremely tough playing Diaz Acosta and Tirante in a South American challenger to get to the quarters it also turned out that the 400 meters altitude that Santa Cruz is on is still uh you know probably still has some impact at least looking how the you know how, how the players were doing on the court um, you know, it's not Ambato, it's not Quito, but 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 it's still it's still different to playing at sea level. Uh, Serundolo actually saved two match points against Tirante. Uh, one was like a pretty short rally, uh, ended with a Tirante error, and then the other one, I mean, Tirante. Uh, it, it it was just one shot, so obviously he it's not like he had a put away volley or something. But Serundolo just played a second serve kicker that was just into the middle of the service box just to get it in and Tirante just netted the forehand inside out in the in the middle of the net and that was like you know that as Tiago Tirante when the inside out forehand is by far your best shot you just gotta at least make this shot you gotta at least you know get it deep and he didn't even get it over the net uh, so disappointing there, but uh, honestly, some of the level that Serundo had in the lat- in the sets two and three against Delian, and also in the latter parts of the Ugo Carabelli final were just insane. Uh, I don't know if he's ever going to make it onto the main tour, like more than the golden swing. Uh, but if he stays at around this level, he's gonna finish his career with like fifteen challenger titles, which I guess isn't a bad career to have. I mean, uh, yeah, I yeah. wouldn't mind it, obviously, uh, but. He probably wants better and he probably deserves to be at least a bit better. Very excited to see how he does in the, in the golden swing now. Uh, I think he got a wild card to, to Cordoba. Is it this week? Yeah, Cordoba. Uh, I think he got a wild card. Obviously, very disappointing. Yeah, uh, very disappointing for uh, Juan Manuel, who actually had to withdraw and won't even defend his title. Uh, that, that, that's a big shame. I think he's not gonna drop the points yet, but he will because Cordoba was a little later last season. But he's gonna drop oh, the right. points soon, and it's gonna be 
a huge downfall, even though he's obviously, you know, he, he amassed a lot of points in, in different ways. He won three challengers last year, but but this is still going to be a, a, a huge uh, loss for him, obviously. 250 points. Uh, yeah, from 822 right now in five weeks, he's predicted to have 500, 562 points only. So that, that would situate him around around uh, 130, something like this. Ah, so not, not, not that bad. He's still going to be seated in 90% of challengers. Yeah, yeah. Um, a big shout out to Ugo Karabey as well for breaking into the top 200 with this result. Uh, now number 178. Uh, he, I, I mean, at least to me, he, he had a much easier draw to the final than uh, Serundolo had uh, Orlando Luz, Cristian Rodriguez, Murkel Beyen, and uh, Pedro Cachin, uh, who had a big semifinal run uh, as a well, qualifier. Uh, he played one match in qualifying and was too good for the qualifying, probably. But uh, yeah, big week for for Ukarabe as well. Yeah, we had uh, we both picked uh, Thomas Martin Treveri, who retired, seemed to be rather in control before you know before getting injured. So mm, uh, yeah. I mean, country would be too disappointed with that. Uh, there's no there's no reason stated in the in the PDF. Uh, the, I think we should also mention Fernando Verdasco. <laughs> who won a couple of rounds, uh, played like insanely aggressive tennis with his forehand. He was just absolutely blasting every single ball. The match against Fikovic was crazy and he just didn't have anything left for the one against Kachin, which was, I believe, yeah, it had to be on the next day. And against Fikovic, he played for like three hours and something. Uh, Obviously not really, compared to Tsonga, I think Tsonga can still do a lot. And Verdasco, but obviously it's it's an unfair comparison because Verdasco is is even older and uh, mm. yeah he's thirty eight at this point and you know he's really not looking like his former self at this point in time. But it's great that he still can win a couple of rounds and that he still cares. I mean that that he went to South America to to play these challengers is maybe even a little surprising. Yeah, uh, Kachin also also beat Andre Martin, of course, uh, in the first round, which I feel like, you know, it's obviously Andre Martin is in a tough situation. Um, he, he's winless on the year. Uh, his last two losses have been on clay in South America, where he usually does very well. Uh, and he's lost decisively both matches. But I feel like it's it's not, it's, it's, it's kind of a tough draw to get, you know, you're expecting a qualifier and Pedro Kachin pops up. At you in the first round so he, he's in Cordoba this week uh, I'm hoping that he can get something started get something going but that's probably delusional uh, <laughs> I also picked Serundolo last week uh, similar to Pospicio so I picked uh, two of <laughs> this week's winners last week um, so well, well so Martin well, got into Cordoba right, like as a direct acceptance that's pretty interesting uh, yeah, I, I think that he was probably one of, yeah. the, one of the last ones. In probably, the... yeah. He's playing with Ramos. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it, it's not the worst draw. He's been in South America for much longer. Not, that's for sure. Yes, yeah. 
That's an argument. Okay, oh. with that, let's go to watch an upset of the week. Yes. What's your upset of the week? Maybe let's start there. My upset of the week, I struggle with this. I don't feel like there was like a massive big mm-hmm. upset this week. Uh, so I went for Torpegado with Fratangelo. I don't know. Uh, I, I felt like Fratangelo, he really destroyed Mejia in that first round. Um, and, I, and I felt like he, he could really go on a run, uh, but you can never underestimate the power Torpegat possesses when inside of the state of Ohio. Uh, who's your upset of the week? Yeah, I see that the bookies went for like three matches at a very similar uh, rate at very similar odds. And these were exactly Torpegard beating uh, Fratangelo, Nishioka beating Brooksby, and also Bemelman beating Safiulin. Uh, I don't think Nishioka was that much of a surprise with how well he played before that match. And also Brooksby had some physical issues against Escobedo. So I'm not going to go for this. And I think I'm going to just agree with you, even though I should be, you know, I've been following Torpegard in Ohio for years and I should be more, you know, I, I just should know that this can happen. And I guess I wouldn't be picking this if he just barely beats Fratangelo, I don't know, 7-6 in the third or something like this. But he like totally smashed him off the court and that always yeah. comes unexpected. And I should know better. I should be ready. Maybe next time I'm going to be actually in Cleveland. We've got, uh, we've already got a chance to pick Torpegat maybe. Uh, we'll see. Uh, so what's your match of the week? Uh, match of the week, um, I went for Serundolo over Delian uh, in the semifinals. I, th- I thought it was nice to see Serundolo turn it around, um, fun and clay court tennis in, in the midst of the Australian Open. It was, it was a nice break from all the hardcore squeaking yeah. sounds. <laughs> I, watched that, uh, I watched parts of that on replay, knowing the results. So, so maybe that's why it wasn't as fun for me. Uh, I mean, mo- because, you know, just I, w- I was struggling to keep myself awake during the hours that Santa Cruz was played. Uh, but I did go for a straight set match and I guess a pretty interesting pick, but I did go for Tsonga over Wessler. Ah. Uh, I mean, sometimes uh, there are these players that you watch on the main tour, you get used to them and you're like, OK, they're just going to be there forever. And then they, I don't know, have a lull in form, have injury issues like Tsonga. And before they come back, like it's only when you watch them again, you realize how much you want to still, I don't know, uh, just feel, uh, watch their game, see how they do, how exciting they actually are. And I totally forgot that I was such a big fan of Tsonga. Maybe I was never actually that big a fan of Tsonga as I am right now after watching him this week. I mean, every single good shot from Tsonga, I was just drooling and, <laughs> and was absolutely stunned. And, and it was a fantastic experience uh, late on Monday or, or on Tuesday. I cannot remember, but, but it was really something else for me. I, I didn't realize that I liked Jovin Fritzsonga's game so much. I mean, I always liked the guy. I think he's one of the players that pretty much everyone enjoys. Uh, he's mm. just so fun to watch, but but I, I never realized I missed him that much. Yeah, that's that's kind of beautiful. Uh, yeah, with that, should we go to uh, the preview? We only have one uh, next week. It's Cleveland, uh, but it's a, it's a pretty exciting draw. So let's get into it. Are you ready? Yeah. 
All right, so we have the top seed, Tennis Sandgren, playing Christian Harrison in the first round. Big match right away. Uh, Sandgren leads the, leads the head-to-head. 4-2-1, uh, yes. They've, there's actually been two walkovers before, uh, which is interesting. But yeah, uh, next, the, the winner of that face is Fabiano or Kruger. Uh, then we have Cedric Masochteve playing Mikel Torpegat, still inside of Ohio. Uh, where Torpegat could very easily set up a rematch uh, against Yuri Rodionov in the second round, who faces a qualifier. Then the second section, we have Yoshito Nishioka coming off a title playing Dennis Istomin. Winner faces Yasutaka Uchiyama or qualifier. Then the other season section is Emilio Gomez playing Jason Jung. Winner faces a qualifier or William Blumberg with a wild card playing singles, uh, surprising, sort of, a little bit, because <laughs> he didn't seem to care too much about it. Yeah, but he said, uh, I think we discussed that interview here, like that that he that he said uh, late in 2021 that obviously he was not going to just play doubles, that in 2022 mm-hmm. he was going to, to focus on singles as well. Yeah, I mean, he has no singles ranking, so he, he will have to make his, make his way through. Yeah wild cards and then potentially qualifying stuff like that uh next the third section i think the most exciting probably we have liam brody playing jj wolf in the first round that's a that's an amazing match rematch Winner for the, qualies right australian open qualies hmm? rematch for australian open yes. qualies yeah 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 uh which was also a great match six four in the third winner of the face is a qualifier as there are two facing off then we have jack sock uh coming off of i think it was an illness that he uh, yeah. had to pull out in from, the PDF it was a little less yeah yes he plays Braden Schnur uh, winner of that face is Michael Moe or Alexander Kovacevic uh, your big favorite <laughs> then we have the, the final section we have Dominique Stricker two weeks in a row plays, plays the second seed uh, this time the second seed is Andreas Seppi the age difference in this match must be wild uh, Seppi's 37 Stricker's 19 still right Yep. Yeah, big old, big old age difference. Um, winner faces Jeffrey Blancano or a qualifier. Other scene section is uh, Ernesto Escobedo playing Keegan Smith. And the winner of that face is Bjorn Fratangelo or Nicola Kuhn. Uh, we also have plenty of exciting qualifiers. Uh, most of them are still in their first rounds, but Blanche has made it to the final qualifying round. Galarno. Uh, Nick Hart, who qualified last week, we have uh, Inki Jikata playing right now. So lots of lots of names uh, that could come through and really mix it up in the main draw. Uh, so yeah, who do you like here? Who are your favorite matchups? Uh, favorite players here? Yeah, uh, just for clarification, we only have one event this week, but that wasn't originally the plan. There was supposed to be one in Bayamon in Puerto Rico. Uh, always cool to have events in in places that weren't really used by the tour before but unfortunately it was cancelled due to covid there was also supposed to be another challenger in bayamon uh, next week but it was also cancelled but there we're gonna have uh, two events so uh, so it's not gonna hurt that much Uh, but here i mean just one challenger we're gonna get a lot of time maybe even to to watch more doubles or something i mean even the qualies already make up for it 
yeah, I think we should both be excited about Hijikata because we, we picked him to, to qualify from his section at the Australian Open. Obviously, he retired to, to damage Zumhur, but I'm I'm really looking forward to seeing what he can bring. He obviously, after the Australian Open, I believe it was announced uh, that he wasn't coming back to college, that he was just going to, to go to the pros, missing on some money uh, in a way, but... I mean, he's got the talent to make up for it, obviously. Uh, yeah, and looking at the draw, again, very strong. I don't know if uh, Stricker to, uh, plays Seppi now. He played Sandgren last week. Is is that easier? Is that tougher? I don't even know at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely curious for that matchup. Um, Seppi has, has kind of not been really good uh, this year. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I feel like Stricker should be the favorite for the match, to be honest. Yeah, I feel like the bottom half is a little stronger, really. Uh, that section you mentioned is super exciting. Two qualifiers could be still big names, as we mentioned, and Sok Schnur, Mo Kovacevic, and Wolf Brody is another one of these where you just can pick five of the, out of the eight guys to progress to the semifinals and no one... No one would really be able to say, what? What are you doing? You're you're absolutely wrong. Uh, so in terms of my winner pick, I think I am going to go for a play that I don't really like doing, but I am going with Yoshihito Nishioka to win again. Um, I don't know if it's possible. I don't know how his motivation is going to be, how his fitness is going to be. But to be fair, he, uh, I think he played two deciding sets this week. And I think this is doable mostly because of the draw that he has. Uh, as I mentioned, I think the bottom half is so much stronger. And the seeds in the top half don't really speak to me that much. Uh, not going to go Torpegard, which I am going to regret, <laughs> maybe, if he claims yet another title in Ohio. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, so what I've written down here before uh, mm -hmm. is Yoshito Nishioka. Now I'm sort of questioning whether <laughs> stick or twist, should I change it? I'm, uh, I'm so shit at predictions that if I pick someone, you actually start questioning whether it's right or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, we're, we're both still waiting for our first one. Nishioka, yeah, I mean, he he is he's a very good player with a, with a very nice draw here. I mean, Istomina then... Uchiyama or qualifier and then you're in the quarters I mean because there are so many favorites clumped together in the sections I, I think I'll just have to go for for Nishioka yeah yeah so no one is gonna have a lead after this week but hopefully we're gonna get a point finally hopefully, I mean yeah. it's just like what's the it's gonna be the 12th event yeah 12th event this year so it's still not terrible I mean it, it seems bad because we haven't had a point for for a month, but it's not like September last year when there was five week uh, five events every single week. If we weren't getting a point there, then something would have been wrong with us. <laughs> but but here, I mean, we can live with that probably. Um, I had something. Yeah, there's also a pretty interesting wild card in the doubles where Dominic Stricker is playing with Nicolas Gottsik. Uh, yeah, who, who is who is Godzik? Godzik is the son of Tony Godzik, uh, so Roger Federer's agent. Oh wow! Okay. Yep. Uh, 
you know, I, I can't remember. I, I don't think I've seen him play. I certainly saw him in some in some draws, uh, but but probably never saw him on the on the court. Actually, I, I have no idea what he can show. Uh, also, if he's playing with Streaker because I don't know <laughs> because of what, probably chose him as his partner. Probably knows him through Federer, I would imagine. But anyhow, yeah, that's, that's gonna be that's gonna be pretty interesting to watch. Uh, I, I I recall he was a pretty decent talent, but but he who played a lot of doubles actually in even in the in the juniors, um, not necessarily doing that 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 well in singles or something. But it, it's gonna be cool to see. I mean, I I saw people calling it out as uh, you know as once again a little bit of a stretch of the wildcard system. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it is it is probably yes, but I mean. Uh, with the rules that we have right now, I mean, there aren't any, there really aren't any restrictions regarding wildcards. So I guess whatever the tournament can do, they they can do. If it's, I'm I'm glad it's not Druva Mulia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, he, he's he's actually, I mean, he's actually like like a, like a promising junior. Yeah. Like, I think I think that he's like top fifty. Uh, I just had it open here. Yeah, top fifty in in junior. So I mean, it's not an outlandish wild card to give. It's not like some of these guys that we've had who were never ranked anywhere, even in juniors, and are somehow getting like main draw doubles wild cards or like qualifying wild cards. Um, so yeah, I'll, I'll definitely check that doubles match out. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else that we want to close out on here? No, no. I, I, I'm probably okay with, uh, with Cleveland. Yeah, I did watch Godseek. I, I had something like, a, like a very vague recollection in mind of him playing with Ethan Queen at the U.S. Open in juniors. Uh, I definitely watched at least one of his matches, but I, it's not like I have any, any idea on what he plays. There were four juniors on the court, and I, uh, in doubles, you never really get to. Uh, I mean, never. Uh, it's way harder for me to, you know, just sort of uh, find out what a player is all about in doubles. I feel like, uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, oftentimes you have somebody carrying somebody else, mm-hmm. like for the longest time. Obviously, he's he's managed to pan out into an intellectual good player, Alex Molchan, but he uh, played junior doubles with Hurkacz, I think. So, so when Hurkacz had his breakthrough and Molchan was still deep in the three hundreds or whatever, it was kind of a a joke that oh yeah now we know you're who right was. i think i think they um they played like a, a slump final uh together yeah i i, I don't i don't remember if they won or not uh, but I think no 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 they, they definitely didn't win it no no uh, i i don't think hurkach had uh, had the slump uh, had the slump title no no uh, I can't remember even w- which slam it was, but yeah, they 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 they, they played the slam final together. Uh, okay, so I guess that's where we're gonna finish at. Uh, a pretty short episode, I feel. I can't remember when we started, but that's what uh, you know. That's what we're gonna get, especially next week as well, with just one recap of Cleveland, and then we're also gonna be able to talk about Bangalore and Sherbrooke. Uh, this has been a very like. You know, the, the, the beginning of the year on the Challenger Tour has been a little quiet, but I know mm. there's going to come that point. That, that point is going to come when it's going to hit us with five events to recap, five events to preview, <laughs> and it's going to be fun but tiring again. Uh, yeah. But we love it. So, you know, I, I already see that, yeah, in March, the the frequency of events is, is going to go way up 
Phoenix, by the way, is, is back, which is going to be cool because this was the event that took place during the second week of Indian Wells and many, many mm-hmm. top 100 players took, took part. It was actually held just once, but yeah, 16 seeds because it was still the 48 draw, uh, 48 players draw and all the seeds were top 100 players. So wow. You rarely get that. David Goffin ranked 21. Uh, was the number one seed. Oh yeah, I think I remember that. That's yeah, that's... and and he didn't even win. I remember he lost uh, now to Caruso or something like that. Yeah, never mind. Uh, once again, <laughs> we're really driving off the topic here, but it's a challenger. I mean, it's it's a challenger yeah. from 2019, so it's like you know, barely, barely, barely making it into into this podcast. Anyhow, uh, thanks for listening and see you next week when we're going to talk about Cleveland and then preview Bangalore and, uh, yeah, Bangalore and Sherbrooke. Bye. Hope all of you enjoyed another ATP Challenger-centric episode from host Damian Koost and Yaka Babro. I say it every week. I mean it every time. You are not going to find two people further ensconced on the ATP Challenger beat nor further enthusiastic, more enthusiastic, I should say, about ATP Challenger action than Damian and Jakob. So a huge thank you to them, as always, for their contributions to our team here at Crack Rackets. And as you listeners know, you can hear them each and every week here on our Great Shot podcast feed. But as As I mentioned at the top, we got a lot going on here at Cracked Rackets and across the tennis world. Of course, we recapped Final Thoughts Australian Open over on the Mini Break podcast feed. also want to set the scene for all of you listeners, what you can expect this week. I am headed to the Cleveland Challenger. Perhaps that's a fact near and dear to listeners of this show's heart in particular, where I'm going to try and talk to as many players as possible, get those interviews for you on our YouTube channel so you can see these players, also get them here on our various Crack Rackets podcasts. I'll recap all the action happening that I see each day on the Mini Break podcast feed, talk about the action happening across the tennis world as well. College Tennis ITA Kickoff Weekend Show recaps Tuesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern Time, our YouTube channel. You can watch John Parsons and I recap all the action on the women's side. Of course, 7 p.m. Thursday, Chris Halioris, Matt Stikoyak, and I going to do the same for the men. You do not want to miss out on any of the action. So again, Crack Rackets YouTube channel, the place to be, and all of this content available on our website, crackrackets.com. Of course, if you need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, we are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I'm at A.L. Gruskin. Of course, like, rate, subscribe, review to this show, the Mini Break Podcast, Cracked Interviews Podcast, and our YouTube channel to ensure you don't miss out on any of the action. A shout out, as always, to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the fuck of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our Cracked Rackets content possible. With all of that said, for our hosts, Damien Kust and Babro, our super producers, Fliegner and Westoff, our friends at Tennis Point, from all of us here, Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot, and we'll see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com.